Good morning, everybody. Welcome once more to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by way of Facebook, uh, live or audio or video podcast, welcome to you as well. Uh, you honor us by finding us and participating in this worship service with us. I want to start a, a short sermon series from the book of Lamentations. So go ahead and turn to the book of Lamentations. Um, it's in the Old Testament. Some of you may have never read in the book of Lamentations, and that's part of why I want us to do it. You need to know that this book is here. Uh, go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's a big one. And then Jeremiah comes after Lamentations. I mean, after Isaiah, it's a big one. And Lamentations is stuck in right behind the book of Jeremiah. So it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Jeremiah has a nickname. He was known as... Somebody say bullfrog. Somebody said the bullfrog. <laughs> Uh, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet. His ministry, his entire ministry was, uh, was all bad news. He only had prophecies uh, and warnings of what was about to happen to the people. It came to pass, it was terrible, and Lamentations is the book that comes after that. What Jeremiah was foretelling and what actually came to pass was the destruction of the entire city of Jerusalem, the temple, uh, was left in utter ruins. Uh, most of the people were killed or taken off into captivity, according to the word of God and history. The only people left behind in Jerusalem were the poorest of the poor, the people who had nothing anyway and were of no use to the enemy of the Babylonians. And so um, the survivors, the poorest of the poor, are those who are left in Jerusalem. And Lamentations is the record they leave us. Uh, it's, it's what they leave for us. Uh, it's uh, a collection of really sad songs. It's a collection of dirges, funeral dirges. It's a collection of just anguishing prayers. Now, some of you are thinking, why is that even in the Bible? Why are we reading this? Uh, we, we don't need this. But, uh, but I just want to remind you that you do need this. And the Bible is full of this sort of thing. Psalm chapter 38, verse 17 uh, is just one instance where the psalmist is praying out to God, crying out to God and says, I'm on the verge of collapse. My pain is ever with me. I mean, this is just how God's people have prayed through all time and how they've sang. I mean, when this is how you feel, this is how you pray. And the Bible's filled with that. The problem is our lives, our churches, our uh, relationships, we often don't get this honest. We don't go to this level of depth and pain with one another, but we need to be able to do that. It's part of what we learned from Lamentations. It's five chapters. Uh, for the most part, the book of Lamentations is divided up into separate poems. These are uh, acrostic poems. What's an acrostic poem? I know it's summer, but your English teachers would love if you could still answer this. Uh, what's an acrostic poem? Thank you, Martha. Yeah, you go down the letters of the alphabet, and each line of the poem begins with that letter of the alphabet. That's an acrostic poem. Now, Lamentations is written in the Hebrew language, so the Hebrew alphabet has how many letters? 22. Yeah, 22. Excellent. So if you notice, chapter 1 has how many verses? 22. So chapter 1 is an acrostic poem. You're not looking at it in Hebrew. I'm not either. But if you could see it in Hebrew, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 starts with the letter Aleph. It's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 2 starts with Bayat, B, and then Gimel, and all the way through the Hebrew alphabet, all the way through the 22 letters. So sort of from A to Z, we are going over, rehearsing the story of our pain. And this is how the book of Lamentations is put together. Just to remind you, 
Uh, when this is where you are, when this is how you feel, then this is how you pray. Let's start with just chapter one. We're gonna only do seven verses. We'll pick up with verse eight next time. But let's start with verse one, chapter one, the book of Lamentations. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she's now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to run. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. The priests groan. Young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. Her oppressors have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to her enemy. There's no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. If you've been out here long at all, y'all have heard the story about my possum. Um, I had a possum, you know, as we do uh, in the country. Redneck kid. I was just a redneck kid. Um, and I did have a possum. Um, I wanted to have more possums. Um, I was going out to the school bus one day. I was probably fifth grade. And uh, got out to the road and a car had hit a possum. Y'all ever seen that? But y'all know possums are marsupials, which means they carry their young in their pouch. So when the car hit the mama possum, her pouch exploded with babies all over the road. So the mama was dead, but the babies were alive. And I did a quick count and there were like five trillion of them. Uh, just little naked mole rats. Just little naked possums, like real long tail, but just naked and blind. And they were just all, you know, crawling around the road, staggering and, and startled. And so uh, I did what any of you would do. I picked them up. I mean, the bus is coming. But I just start gathering all of these possums in my arms. So I've got them crawling up my arms and around my neck. And um, I'm going back up to the house. Now, Mom was putting me on the school bus. So when Mom sees me coming back up the driveway, she comes out on the porch. So I meet her on the walk. And I just say, Mom, here, take these. And I start pitching possums, you know, <laughs> at, at, at my mother. So mom starts screaming, there are possums all over our porch. And she's like, you know, get rid of these, take these back, get these rats out of here. I'm like, mom, they're possums, they're, you know, their mama's dead, they're going to die, they're going to die. And now the bus is at the end of the drive, like honk, honk. I'm like, mom, you know, they're going to die. So my heartless mother, you know, insists that all the possums go back to the road. I'm like, mom, now they're going to die. So I finally said, just one, just one. And so mom let me keep one possum. And I, I raised her, her name was Nancy. That's, that's how I got Nancy. Um, started out feeding her with uh, an eyedropper, you know, milk, you know, as, as we do. And then I progressed her to canned dog food, uh, Alpo, you know, only the best for my possum, uh, Alpo dog food. 
Since she was a marsupial and loved pouches, she loved pockets, so I would take her to school with me. She would go to school with me and just be in my pocket. It was awesome. Uh, when teacher wasn't looking, I would take her out because a possum will hang with its tail, you know. So she would wrap her tail around my finger and just hang there, you know, later my arm, you know. I mean, possums are awesome, y'all. I mean, just awesome pets. There's nothing like the bond between a boy and his possum. And so anyway... Uh, as time went on, I mean, I, I loved this, I mean, this animal was, was just my heart, you know. So anyway, Nancy would, every night I'd be watching TV in my bedroom and Nancy would sleep on my shoulder, you know, as possums will do. She would sit on my shoulder and, uh, and then when she'd fall asleep, I would put her in a bucket. She lived in a bucket at the end of my bed, all right. So one night she fell asleep on, on my shoulder and I fell asleep too. So the next morning I woke up and I always, the first thing I do is go and look over the you know, edge of my bed to see the possum in the bucket. But she wasn't there. So I thought, you know, where, where's my possum? You know, so um, I realized, you know, oh yeah, she was on my shoulder when I fell asleep and I turned around, y'all, and she is in the middle of my bed dead. Like she fell asleep on my shoulder and then I, you know, fell asleep and I rolled over on her. I smothered her. I flattened her. So I, I look back, and my possum is, is dead in my bed. Um, y'all don't know whether to laugh or cry right now, do you? You're like, what? This is a possum story. Um, now, I was, I was a child, and it was really my first real loss. And again, I know, get past the, get past the possum part, it was a pet. And I really, really loved this animal. I'd raised this animal. I loved this animal. And so this truly was, at that point in my life, again, I'm a child. I know this all sounds childish, but I was a child. It was my first real heartbreaking loss. I mean, I felt it, and, and I was devastated. It was, and, and in some ways to this day, just one of the longest, hardest days of my life. I carried that possum around all day long and cried. I mean, just literally, I mean, just, you know, held her and cried. Uh, at the end of the day, I decided I needed to have a funeral, and so I went out to the garden uh, and dug a hole with a shovel, and then I just sat out there in the grass, and I just kept on crying. I mean, I didn't know how to just start burying her in the dirt. Just with the laugh or cry, do you? It's just, it's sad, but it's it's true. And uh, so I was just sitting out there in the garden for the longest time, just in the grass, just crying my eyes out. You know, I didn't know what to do. And my dad came out, and my dad's awesome. My dad was awesome this day, and, and my dad is still awesome. Uh, my dad came out, you know, to be with his idiot son in the grass, you know, with the possum. Um, dad stood there for the longest time. And then finally I just looked up at my dad, and I, I know this sounds crazy, but I just looked up at him and just said, why did God let this happen? You know, why did God let me lay on Nancy? It was my question. Um, dad said some things that day that honestly didn't help a, a lot. Um, I'm just being honest, in that moment, none of it helped. In that moment, it did not help. Um, but dad still, that day, he, he gave me words that were very true and they fortified my heart in such a way where my heart's been stronger in all the days since. And honestly, all my dad did that day was just tell me the truth. And, and in his own way, you know, my dad just said, you know, son, you know, I, I don't know why this happened, but I know that it happens and it's going to keep happening in your life. You're going to love things and lose things. 
It's just what he said. This is a part of life, and it's a really hard part of life. But, but you love and you lose, and maybe as you're young, you know, it's pets, it's possums, you know. But dad went on to say, you know, one of these days it'll get even harder. You'll end up one day where you'll, you'll, you'll lose your, your mother and, and I. But you'll learn how to do that, and you'll always know that God is with you when you have to do that. didn't help, you know. It, it didn't help in the sense that in that moment it didn't take the pain away. Because um, it was logical, reasonable kind of truth, but, but pain is illogical and reasonable, you know. So, so that answer didn't heal my emotional pain at the time. But as I say, um, that's just truth. It's just truth. And it's still truth that we need, and it's, it's, it's the truth that underlies everything in the book of Lamentations. I mean, what you have to simply know is that loss is inevitable. It's inevitable. All of your life, the longer you live, you will love things and people, and you'll lose things and, and people because nothing in this life lasts Nothing. So all of your life, I mean, it's some of you right now, you remember your pets. You know, you just loved them. And nobody tells you that pets just don't live very long. I mean, they're just, you know, our dog now is like 15 years. It's like, where did 15 years go, you, you know? Uh, it just goes by so fast. And you realize, man, we're going to outlive our pets. Um, you outlive nearly everything. Life's just full of loss. And I don't always mean it's the, like the loss that comes with death. There are lots of everyday losses, you know, just all sorts of things. Right now, some of you are literally grieving uh, the fact that your children are graduating college, graduating high school or, and moving on up into the next stage, going to leave the house and, and go live at college. And, and people just will, you know, they just sort of say, you know, she's just going to Western. That's not that far. But you're thinking, yeah, but it's not up the hall, you know, it's not in her bedroom, it's not in the house, it's, it's a loss, it's, it's a genuine loss, and, and, and life is full of those, and some of them you wouldn't even want to change, this is how life goes, but then some of it are things you'd never choose, you know, the, the young man who's playing baseball and throws his arm out with an injury, and in just a moment, his, his whole future, everything he thought he was heading toward is just gone, you know, and what do you do about that kind of Loss. You know, we have senior adults in our church that just the longer you live, you're just sort of always losing something else. It's people, but it's more than that. It's ability. It's it's ability to cook and follow a recipe or or manage your own medication. It's it's the day when your kids come and tell you that you can't drive the car anymore, and it's just loss. And I'm just saying, life is just full of loss. And and the book of Lamentations is all about loss. It, it just is. Look at these verses. I mean, it's it's as if the survivors drag each other out of the rubble and they stand and look at each other for the longest time and, and then they start and this is what they start to say and sing and pray and, and it's mostly just a rehearsal of what they've lost. It's, it's, it's like you almost have to take an inventory. You've got to name those losses so you can get on with the business of grieving them and it's what they do. Now, verse 1 is a typical kind of verse in the book of Lamentations. You'll see this language in 1 and also verse 7. It's that, it's that pattern of once but now. You know, once Jerusalem was full of people and full of life and, and full of hope and full of wealth and majesty, but now 
Jerusalem is nothing but ashes and, and, and rubble. Once, you know, we had our children with us and once we had our community, but now our children are gone, our community is gone, and we stand among the graves. I mean, it's once, but, but now. And in grief, we can get stuck in that place, that place between what once was but what now is. And the question becomes, what comes next? And is there any way to move from, from this, this now into some future that, that could possibly be, be better? It's just once, but now. But verse 2, she sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. There's no one left to comfort her. There's this loss of friends. She doesn't have anybody left. She being Jerusalem, the whole city. They're just saying, we don't have anybody anymore. All of our friends are gone. Verse 3, there's, there's no rest. It's this verse that just talks about that she lives among foreign nations. There's no place of rest. Have you ever experienced Grieving, and especially the way grief, um, first off, it's just exhausting to, to grieve, to, to lose, to have to go through something like this. It's just exhausting. And, and you really just want rest. You just want to sleep. But the problem is sleep is really difficult when you're in this, in this state of mind and, and heart. I've heard widows tell me that um, evening is just the worst time. Like they make it through the day because they're kind of busy. But then in the afternoon, just when everything starts to slow down and the sun gets low and that grief just comes back, it's, it's just that sundown, you know. And then the bedtime is just so hard because you lay down and you can't sleep. There's just no rest and you're exhausted. And, and then if you ever get to sleep, the, the thing is, in sleep you can forget. And in that first moment when you open your eyes, you've forgotten. And then you have to remember. Every day, you open your eyes, you wake up, and you have to remember, you know, she's gone, he's gone. Uh, there's, there's just no, no rest. And verse 4, there's no joy. The, the, the city streets are no longer filled with people celebrating. There's nothing to celebrate. There's silence and groaning and crying. There's no joy. Verse 5, the children have been taken away. The children are gone. There's no children. There's no, no future. On and on they go, A to Z, just listing the, the losses. Loss is inevitable. But then the question becomes, how do you deal with it? What do you do about it? And in Lamentations, this is what the question that people are asking. How do we move on? How, how, do, we, how do we possibly make our way out of this deep darkness? And the question is for you. How, how do you deal with the losses of your own life? Um, I guess there are styles uh, different ways that people deal with loss in different ways. Some of us ignore pain. I probably do this sometimes. I'm, I'm a man, or when I'm with other men, I feel like I need to be a man. So I try to be a man. Um, I ignore pain. Once the, the men of our church, we were on a mission trip. I don't remember where we were, but I was working with a bunch of guys. We were working on and off a roof, and Jack Wright was up on the roof, and I was on the ground at that moment. And Jack pitched a hammer off the roof. And it missed my head, but it, it bounced off my right shin. Like it hit the bone right there. And then it bounced off my foot, off a roof. Y'all ever heard that phrase, enough to make a preacher cuss? <laughs> it, it hurt so bad. It hurt so bad. You know, like pain where like I could feel my heart beating in my shin. I could feel my heart beating in my teeth. I mean, it just hurt so bad. But you think I cried? I mean, crying, men don't cry. It's not like I'm going to cry and the men are going to come off the roof and hold me while I cry. You know, I mean, we don't, 
we don't do that. So what did I do? I ignored it. I, I, it may not be just a man thing. Maybe women do this too, but I walked it off. That's what we call it. I walked it off. So that means nobody knew how I hurt. I just like, you know, and uh, I just ignored it till it went away. Man, people do this all the time. One day in Woodburn, uh, I'd say that I hit a cat, but honestly, that cat hit me. I was driving down the road and the cat just ran out and ran right into my wheels. I had no time to stop. I didn't even see it till it, it came out of this yard to my left. The cat ran out of the yard, ran right into my wheels. I mean, boom. So I stopped the car. I got out. I mean, I love animals, y'all. I, I got out, and even cats. I mean, I got out and a dead cat in the road. And then this man comes out of the house. The cat had run off his porch. And now the man's coming. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I, I, uh, technically, I think that cat committed suicide, but I didn't tell him. I, you know, sir, I'm sorry. I, I, I've run over your cat. I'm really sorry. I ran over your cat. He said, it's not my cat. I said, it, it was on your porch. It's not my cat. I'm thinking, okay. You know, so I got a dead cat then. I mean, I said, well, I'm just, you know, it just it came right off, off your porch and uh, from your house. And he said, that's not my cat. And then he just like stopped saying, that's not my cat. And he just reached down and just, he just collapsed into tears. And he grabbed that dead cat and ran into his house. You know, it's like for the longest time, he tried to say, that is not my cat. That is not my cat. You know, this is not happening to me. This cannot be happening to me until he couldn't, he couldn't say it anymore. You know, it, he had to face the fact, that's my cat. You know? um, ignoring pain seems like a good idea, but it never works. You know, years ago, uh, a woman that I knew very, very well, a wonderful Christian woman, had a wonderful Christian son, and her, she lost her son. And she insisted that we would have this big, big celebration of life. And, and, and that's a phrase that I like, and we use that phrase a lot. But she said, a celebration, I wanted a celebration. She said, I don't want any sad songs. We're just going to celebrate his life and celebrate all that God has done. And so we did that. I mean, that whole celebration of life was pretty amazing. We just sang happy songs and talked about what, what God, and it was all true. It was all everything that, that we know in faith. Um, and in that service, that woman was this miracle of composure. You know, she really was. And people would say, wow, you know, you're, you're doing so well with this. She was just a miracle. But two weeks later, I went to her house, and she was ragged. I mean, she was nearly insane with grief. I mean, you know, you just, you want to just celebrate, but I'm not so sure that God made us in such a way where when you lose your son, you just put him in the ground and walk away like nothing happened, you know? We, we grieve, and, and it doesn't work to, to try to ignore it. Now, others of us, we just look for somebody to blame. If, if I'm hurting, if, if I've lost, then it must be somebody's fault, and so we just try to figure out whose fault that's going to be. If we can blame the doctor who must have botched the surgery or blame, you know, whatever, you know, for the most part, we blame God. Sometimes we just blame ourselves. You know, man, if, if I just, you know, if I had been there, if I had done something different. But you understand, it doesn't really matter who you blame. This won't help you either. You can assign blame, but it, it, it's not going to help your pain. This isn't a way forward. The other thing is some people just withdraw. And I, I am more like this in, in a lot of ways. And the older I get, I'm, I'm like this. If my heart is hurting, I just don't want to be around anybody. I'm like, I want to be like an old cat. 
you know, just go to the barn, come out see your people in about nine months. You know, I just want to go and, and lick my wounds, just withdraw. You know, go home, pull all the blinds, sit in the dark, just cry a river, just cry your eyes out with nobody else. But as I see, I think lamentation shows us a, a wiser and more certain way forward. And, and it's none of this. It's, it's, it's none of this. Lamentations, as I say, these are the survivors. These are the poorest of the poor who were left in this nation and they're the only ones left and they've lost everything. They've lost everything. And the easiest thing in the world would be just to sit in your pile of ass and, and grieve your losses. The problem is that that doesn't help. It really doesn't help because there's a, a really simple principle here. And, and, and I know you want to say that God is all I need. God is my source of hope and God is my strength. And all of that is true. God is your only source of hope. God is the only one who can mend a broken heart. God is the only one who can restore a future for you. God is the only one. But I just want you to understand, God uses people to help people. God uses people. What God wants to do in your life is just very, very difficult to receive when you're home by yourself, in the dark, just crying your eyes out. I'm telling you, God uses people and you need people. And the book of Lamentations tells the story of how the people, the survivors, they just drag one another out of the darkness. They drag one another out of the rubble and they stand there in the ruins of their lives and, and, and they just begin to sing and they begin to pray. And, and this is what they said to one another. This is what they shared. It is not pretty. It is not cheerful. Because when this is how you feel, this is how you pray. When, when this is how you feel, this is how you sing. Lamentations is just full of two things. It's, it's full of tears and talk. Tears first. Uh, verse two, the whole city, you know, she sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks, man. I don't know if you're a crier. I cry more. I, I, I always wanted just to be that tough guy. I'm just not that tough guy. Um, I cry. Y'all see me cry in sermons, and sometimes you're thinking, hey, Pastor Tim, you know, like he's crying, and like I can't even figure out what's sad, you, you know, because I just will tear up like that. Um, I cried when the IGA opened, you know, across from South Warren. Um, I did. Um, I cry at weird times or the movie The Notebook. <laughs> you know, just, um, on Walking Dead, I cried when Herschel died. You know, what I mean, like, ah. Um, but you know, the funny thing when the church burned that day, and I was called in Bowling Green, I had to drive to the church. It was on fire, and I got here, and I saw church church people here. Uh, I remember telling myself, "I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry." Um, I felt like people needed to see me strong. So it was one of those moments when I, um, I just, you know swallowed them all. I don't know why I did that. Um, there's just things that words can't say. And uh, tears are a language. You know what I mean? Um, we're created for tears and, and for crying. And there are times when it's just really not healthy or wise. To, just to refuse that release, to release. 
It's amazing if you can find people to cry with, and, and this is the beauty of the book of Lamentations. What you read in Lamentations is just people reaching out to one another. They're sharing their grief. They, they cry together. Man, if you got a friend who will let you cry or a friend that will share their tears with you, that's a good friend. I was talking to a man who was a recovering alcoholic, and he says that he remembers back in the day when he used to, I know this is horrifying, he would drive around and drink and cry because he didn't want to drink and he didn't want to feel that way and he didn't want to do any of it, but he would drive around and drink and cry. And he said that, that even after God, you know, restored him and gave him this new life, this new hope, he said one of the things he prayed to God was that he never, he would never forget how he cried. Interesting. Didn't want to forget those tears. And he also said, this is a beautiful thing, that for him, recovery came when he found people he could cry with. It's that driving around by yourself, you know, throwing yourself the, the pity party, drinking yourself and crying alone. You, you just need somebody to cry with. God uses people to help people. <laughs> tears are a language, and, and I'm saying something, and if there's nobody to, to see my tears, nobody to hear what my tears would say, and, and talk. <laughs> Chapter one, honestly, we're not gonna spend five weeks in Lamentations. We just can't do it, y'all. I mean, chapter one, 22 verses, A to Z, all the things they've lost. It's a horrible story. It's, it's horrible. The thing is, chapter two, they started all, they go back to A. In chapter two, they go back to A and they do it again. They, they talk about the loss. They talk about the walls have come down. The temple's destroyed. Our children are gone. They do it from A to Z and then they get to chapter three and they go back to A. And they do it again. They tell the same story. It's just the same story. We could have edited this down to one chapter, but it's five chapters. Chapter three has 66 verses. They, they, they snuck in three. three. Three whole poems in one chapter. They snuck it in and went through the alphabet three times. Same story. Why do they keep telling the same story, the same sad story, the story of loss and grief? Why do they keep telling the same story? Because they have to. They have to. See, this is a hard thing when you lose somebody because the funeral is manageable because people will talk about the person that you've loved, that you've lost. Say you've lost your wife and her name was Helen. And at the funeral, everybody says, I loved Helen. And they'll tell stories about Helen and they'll say, man, I know you're going to miss Helen. She was such a good woman. And they say her name and they tell the stories and, and you get through the funeral. Those stories get you through the day. And, but the thing is, two weeks later, you step out and nobody will say her name. Like nobody will say Helen's name in front of you because they're afraid if they say her name, you'll fall apart. And you really might fall apart. I mean, you could fall apart. At any moment, you could fall apart. But it doesn't help you hold together that, that nobody even speaks of her anymore. Like nobody's telling stories. It's like she's all you think about, but nobody else talks about her. So that just makes you feel insane. It makes you feel crazy. You just want to talk. And have somebody listen to you tell the story, and it's the same story. 
I mean, everybody's heard the story and, and you know they're tired of hearing it, but somehow, somehow that old story to everybody else, it's that same old stale story. Every time you think about it, it's like breaking news to your heart. It's like it just happened. You tell the story again, and honestly, every time you tell that story, it helps. It moves you forward. Even if it's just an inch, it it moves you forward. You need to tell the story. In the book of Lamentations, they tell the story over and over again and again because that's what you do. Y'all know I I went through colon cancer. Y'all know because I've told you the story, and I've tried to quit telling the story because I know y'all are tired of it. I mean, I know. Y'all are thinking, would you just Quit telling us about your colon surgery, you know. Forget the colon, you know. And I understand nobody wants to hear about my colon. I've accepted that, man. Nobody wants to hear about it. But I went through something. And, and, and there's just this need to tell that story and, and to find people that will let you tell the story. But because, because here's the thing. In your life, if something seems unspeakable, it feels unmanageable. Like if I'm in a situation where I've lost my wife, but I'm not even, I don't feel like I can say her name, that becomes overwhelming. I mean, I mean, this incredible grief, this story of loss that I've lived through, if I feel like I can't even tell it, then it makes me feel like I can't deal with it. It feels like I, it feels stronger than me. It has power over me if it's the power to, to make me not even be able to, to, to speak my grief. In your life, if it feels unspeakable, if it seems unspeakable, it feels unmanageable. So, so you want to tell the story, and telling the story helps. Talking about the, the one that you've lost, that helps. Talking about the future that you were planning, it, it helps. It just helps. It, it moves you forward. If only an inch, it's, it's, it's progress. It's moving forward. I mean, the book of Lamentations is full of tears and talk and, and time. Because it takes time. How long? You're asking, how long should it take? I mean, how long? I don't know. Um, Longer than you think. (laughs) Longer than you wish. Long. But not forever get through you get through you do things are never the same again but it's a new way to live you know be different so Christian woman by the name of Julian lived in a place called Norwich so she's known through Christian history as Julian of Norwich she kept a diary and uh This is one of the things that Julian of Norwich said. I just think it's beautiful. She's talking about Jesus, and she says, Jesus did not say you will not be troubled, you will not be belabored, you will not be afflicted, but he said you will not be overcome. (laughs) That's so good. He did not say you will not be troubled. As a matter of fact, what Jesus said was, in this world you will have trouble. That's what he said. He did not say you will not be belabored. What he actually said was, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I mean, he did not say you will not be afflicted. He said nothing like that. What he said was, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
this darkness will not linger forever, but that this heaviness will be lifted. This sadness will not smother you. You will not be overcome. The thing is, in life, as long as you live, you're going to love things and people and lose things and people. And when that happens to you, you, you must not respond as if something strange is going on. It's, it's, it, this is the world. God knows. And there will be moments when your heart will break. And there are moments when you will bury your dreams under the dirt. But in those moments, you will not be alone. You will not be forgotten or forsaken. And you will not be overcome. Jesus, how we need you. From when we were children, already, Lord Jesus, you were teaching us, fortifying us for how hard life would be. Some of us now know, and Lord, some of us have yet to discover how hard life can be. It is hard to love things and people and to lose things and people and yet Lord our lives are filled with this and learning how to love honestly and to let go without losing faith and hope Lord this is just one of the toughest things we must learn to do we cannot do it without you we cannot do it without you But you're the God, the scripture says, is the one who is near the brokenhearted, Lord. So in those moments when our hearts break and we feel like you're just so far away, Lord, the truth is you are closer, leaning in. In those moments when we feel like there is an ocean behind our eyelids and the tears flow like a river, Lord God, you are the one who never lets a single tear fall to the ground. You catch it in your bottle because tears are a language that you understand. So God, I pray today for those in this house with broken hearts and those with hearts that are soon to break. Lord, this is life. Teach us, Lord, that you are the God who loves the brokenhearted, is near to the brokenhearted, that you are the God who does not abandon us, though sometimes we find ourselves in dark places. You and you alone can shine light. So, Lord, today we pray that you will help us to uh, endure these times of life when they befall us. Teach us, Lord, how to go through these hard times without losing faith, hope, or love. These things come only from you. So, Lord, we need you. We always need you. Help us to know that we will never, ever be separated from you if we believe in Jesus' name. Amen.